0: This is AutoLine This Week, the show that gets you inside the global automotive industry. AutoLine This Week partnered with the Consulate General of Canada in Detroit to produce this episode. And now, here is your host, John McElroy.
1: On today's show, we're going to be talking all about Subaru because we've got the chief executive and president of Subaru of America coming on AutoLine This Week today. Tom Dahl, please join us right in here right now. morning, Tom. How are you? Great to see you again. I'm doing terrific, Tom, and it's so terrific to have you on the show. Well, I've also got to introduce the other journalists who will be joining us, my colleagues, including Omari Gardner from Automotive News. Good morning, Omari. Good morning. Good seeing Good
0: morning. you there. Great to
1: see you. And we've got Steve Finley from Wards Intelligence. Hello, Steve.
2: Hey, everybody. Good to be here.
1: Morning, well, let's Steve. get into the, the conversation Tom as as we all know uh the automotive market has really taken a hit because of this pandemic uh sales stink, but Subaru not doing as bad as everybody else, in fact, you've picked up some market share. Do you see any other signs of life out there?
3: Well, just like everybody else when the when this thing started back around March fifteenth the middle of the month um we were off to a very good start to the year. We, were, we thought we were going to have our 13th year of sales increases and our 12th consecutive year of record earnings and, and sales. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, it's like the dog running and it suddenly hits the leash and suddenly the neck pops back and, and you're sprung back into something that you never expected was going to happen. Although I think we thought probably a week or two before that that something was going to happen with the economy because I remember the, remember the NSA tournament got shut down, a lot of the sporting events Got shut down, but never did I think they were going to close the entire economy down and uh, so far we 're down through the first six months of the year we're down about twenty one percent the industry's down about twenty four percent as you said uh, we had our in terms of market share in in uh, June we had our best market share month ever we had four point eight percent total market share and on retail if you exclude the fleet and the other stuff that gets added into that, we had about a five point four percent market share. So, um, yeah, but we're still down, right? I mean, we're, we were down 12% roughly in, in June. Um, you know, April, March and April, we were down 47% in each of those months. We recovered in May. Uh, May we were down about, uh, you know, 17 18%. And then uh, in June, we were down about 12%. So every month it's gotten a little bit better uh, from a sales standpoint. And uh, June was really uh, not, not too bad, all things considered, because our day supply is now getting to be quite low. We've only got about a 28 day supply uh, of inventory and some of our key product lines, the four horsemen, as we call them, the Outback, the forster, the Crosstrek and the Ascent, those days supply car, those day supplies are very, very low. So uh, efficiency is going to be key in July in order for us to be able to sustain our momentum.
2: Say Tom, a lot of the um, automakers were putting out some pretty generous incentives uh, in March and April. Uh, it, it- was absolutely necessary. I know you're not a big fan of incentives, uh, but what do you think of that? I mean, nobody is a big fan of incentives on the automaker side, but sometimes they're a necessary evil, right?
3: Right. Well, you know, Steve, it's a good question. One one of the things that I've learned over the years, and of course, I've been around a long time and seen a lot of the cycles up and down and have been through, um, I like to say I'm a veteran of this industry. Um, And and, and something that that, that happened the way that it happened, how quickly it happened and how abruptly the market went from like a 16.8, 16.9% annual selling rate down to 13 or less so quickly. To me, I think it's one of these things, you want to try to take a step back and see what's actually going to happen. You don't want to panic too much because if you do, and you put your incentives on too quickly, you're basically giving profit away. You have to kind of see where the, you know, where where the market's going to settle in at. And then you make a determination as to whether or not you need to sustain your market share based upon where the market ultimately shakes out. Um, so that's what we did. You know, we, I, we worked with our, our parent company and we always came, we, we, believe me when I tell you, I mean, I've, I've been around a long time and, you know, probably I've been here for, what, 38 years and probably for half of those 38 years, this is a company and a brand that struggled. And we know putting on incentives and the brand damaging, the brand damage that that can cause, it's irreparable if you try to go to that too quickly. So what we decided to do is rather than offering a lot of cash back to customers, we went to zero percent route. So we have zero percent on on our Outback, Forester. And ascent models, as well as our two sedan with the Impreza and with the Legacy. But that's basically the extent of what we're doing, and it's not really costing us all that much because we're in a period of historically low interest rates.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, kind of speaking of um, you know, um, <clears throat> um, you know, sales and uh, you know things normalizing. How is how is capacity um, at the um, plants in Japan and Indiana? Are you getting are you near capacity, or uh, where are you yeah. at right now?
3: Uh, getting there, Omari, we're, we're mm-hmm. slowly building up as probably the other manufacturers are telling you the same thing because we all use a lot of the same suppliers. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, a, it's been a slow build, but our, our factory in Indiana is is back, uh, back to the two shifts and our factory in, in Guma, Japan is also back. Um, so we're expecting a need, to be frank with you, because our day supply is so low, as I spoke about earlier. We need to have the pipeline refilled as quickly as possible. And, um, you know, we're going to struggle here probably in, in July and in the first part of August because we've got to resupply our retailers. Mm-hmm. But it'll probably be around mid-August to the end of August before we get back to a reasonable day supply. Um, you know, and then, of course, in the fall and as we go through the winter, the day supply should get back to what we would like to see somewhere in that 40 to 45 day supply range. Yeah.
2: Do you see um, that going back and forth? I'm, there are some predictions that once the supply Uh, needs are met, then all of a sudden demand could potentially abate because of the economy and what what might be ahead.
3: Really good point, Steve. I mean, we're watching what's happening in some of the states, probably just like you are, right? I mean, uh, we're seeing what's happening in California, Texas, Arizona, Florida. These were the states that were open early on that kind of carried us when when the northeast states where we're typically strong shut down, um, you know, so we just hope it doesn't get into the closed down rotation game here, where the you know you got the, the, the southern wild. Now, yeah, <laughs> and and of course we're in New Jersey. Our headquarters is in New Jersey, and New Jersey was one of the hotbed states early on. It seems to be in right. a little bit of a remission now, but that's something that we really have to worry about, and we are concerned about that because you don't know what's going to happen. Governor Whitmer in Michigan, I saw yesterday. Is so concerned about coronavirus cases in Michigan. She's threatening again to close down some of the auto factories out there again. I mean, geez, if that happens, yeah, you just hope it it, it doesn't go back to that. And we hope that the the economy begins continues to continue to improve like it has been. Uh, but that's really something we have to watch and be concerned with. Yes, it really do, is do,
1: Tom, it,
3: uh,
1: it, it looks like dealers who have adopted. The, the doing the buying process online have come out of this better than those who haven't. How are your retailers doing in that regard? And do you see it the same way that the ones who are doing online retailing are doing better? Uh, pretty much the same,
3: John. I mean, uh, re- online retailing has, in this pandemic situation, customers are a little bit concerned about going out, uh, particularly with our customer base tends to be a little bit older, um, you know, a little more reluctant maybe to come to the store to visit. Um, so our retailers adopted. I would say around the middle of April is when we saw the adoption. I think after when, when, when the economists first shut down the first 15 days in, or the last 15 days of March, you know, 15 days to slow the spread. And then it was the second 15 days from April 1st to, to April the 15th. When it got to that third period of time, that, that's when the retailers began to adopt uh, to new methods of retailing because they, they needed to and they had to. Um, but what we're finding out is there's a small portion of customers that want to take the process all the way through online, including the delivery and the signing of the papers and all that kind of thing. But most people still want to come in. It's like buying any expensive good, you know, whether it's a, a ring, a watch, whatever. It is, people still want to see it. They want to test drive it. So people get so far in the process, but then they still want to come in or still want to make arrangements to test drive the vehicle. So we're we're uh, we're seeing more online adoption, but. We're seeing it getting only so far in the process before the people still then wanna come in and test drive the car and have the delivery and make sure they truly understand all the technology that's in the car. But there has been more adoption to online. Uh, and this is one of the things probably it's gonna change a little bit as we come out of this. You know, Will people continue to wanna to, want to, want to do the sales process and certainly have some of the service process online as well with making appointments coming out to pick up the car, dropping the car back off after it's done, that type of thing.
0: What are you hearing for your retailers now? Are they, um, this, this is so unpredictable, what's going to happen in the future. Do you think they we may need another round of stimulus or some other PPP-like program going forward? Really good question, Amory. I, I would say um,
3: our retailers came out of it very well because we worked in partnership with our retailers to help them with some of the costs that they had incurred. Either waiving certain things, working with the finance company, uh, if they if for those retailers in the beginning anyway that may have had more cars, we worked on storage costs and things like that with our retailers. So I would say if the economy continues the way it's going, and we don't see another phase two shutdown or lockdown of the economy, uh, you know, probably a, a second round of PPE, you know, isn't necessary or, or as necessary. Um, But one doesn't know. Right. And we really don't know how this thing's going to recover or whatever. So we need to make sure that we keep our eye on it and make sure that um, if it is necessary, uh, Congress and those that are in power are able to make those decisions fairly quickly. Um, But right now, I I don't know that it's quite necessary, uh, at least the way I see it anyway. I don't know that it's, it's necessary at this point in time.
1: Tom, let's talk a little bit about the future. Electric cars, you know, everybody's starting to come out with them. I would think, this is just my impression, that Subaru buyers might be more accepting of electric cars, you know, being more environmentally uh, conscious and, and that. That's my read of it. Uh, am I right on that? And and what are your plans for an electric car?
3: We're just like everybody else and that we're ultimately going to have to have our versions of electric vehicles coming up as we go through. Um, the early part of the 20s and through the mid 20s, uh, we're going to have to have electric vehicles throughout the product line in order to be able to compete and be able to be able to adhere to the cafe and the greenhouse gas standards that are out there. Uh, you know, the Trump administration came out yesterday with uh, they lowered the version from the old Obama standards. It's like five percent per year improvement to one and a half percent. So regardless of which administration or what of, what the regulations are, we still have to be able to comply with the regulations as we go through. And I think you're right, John. I think because our customer is so environmentally conscious uh, and has such respect for the environment that we may have, we may have a leg up on maybe some of the other manufacturers in the adaption of, of electric vehicles to our car lines. Um, so in a couple of years right now, it says, you know, we have a hybrid in the, in the Crosstrek that's selling very well. Um, we only sell it in the, in the, in the California emission States that 11 or 12 States, Uh, But we have retailers all over the country that would like to be able to sell it, but we just can't we just don't produce enough of them for them to be able to sell. But the electric vehicle, when that comes out in a couple of years, that will be a 50 state. Our intention is for that to be a 50 state vehicle uh, sold everywhere. And we're very hopeful that the adoption of that uh, is is good and it's strong.
2: Yeah, it's just that everybody seems to be for electric cars, including me. Everybody seems to be for it, except for consumers, Um, but for like, what, 3% or something like that? Uh, So how do you reconcile that? I mean, we were talking about supply and demand a couple of minutes ago. What about this supply and demand? It seems like there's going to be a lot of supply with a lot of EV initiatives on the part of the automakers, and yet the consumers aren't really that into it. So
3: you're 100% right, Steve. I mean, right now, people don't seem to be willing to accept the price up you know, for the electric vehicle or the hybrid type vehicle. Because when they're looking at it, I mean, customers, I've always found them amazingly smart, right, they sit around their kitchen table with their budget and they say, okay, here's the here's the price for the normally aspirated vehicle, here's the price for the electric vehicle or the hybrid. And they're doing the math and they're saying, well, geez, you know, here's here's the price up for it, here's what it's gonna cost me potentially from an incremental monthly payment perspective or what it's gonna cost me over the over the life of the car. And they say to themselves, most people will say to themselves, hey, it's just not worth it at this point in time with gas prices being so low. Uh, but we hope that with, you know, with, I mean, one of the things at Subaru, that you know, we've had to adopt over the years, and John, you appreciate this, is the fact that we've had to make markets um, where there weren't markets. So this is just going to be another challenge for us to try to create a market and to figure out what the price points need to be and what the payment levels need to be in order to make sure that we get the adoption. And one of the reasons why we've probably been later to the to the party with electric vehicles is because we just have to make sure that we can sell them in the volumes that they need to be sold in, because you know, we don't have the economies of scale that some of the larger competitors have. We're worldwide. What do we have? A uh, you know one or two percent worldwide market share. In the United States, we're we're, we're fairly mm. good size. It, you know last year we had a four point one percent market share. But still compared to everybody else in this industry, the larger players, we don't have those economies of scale. We don't compete in trucks. You know, we don't have we don't have the breadth of product that we can we can sustain this fixed cost investment and spread it out over that our competitors have. So we have to be smart when we introduce our car and we have to and we have to make sure that we evaluate the market correctly to make sure that we're going to get the volume targets that we need in order to be able to comply and that we need to sell to make it efficient for our manufacturer. And that's kind of what we're, so we're always watching what's happening in the marketplace. And we're ready to, we're like a kitten, right? Or a ready cat, we're ready to pounce when the market opportunity comes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, um, one of the things that we're seeing in the market um, is in the, in the hybrid space, or, you know, vehicles like the RAV4 and um, HRV, uh, I'm sorry, CRV, where the cost gap between the hybrid and the gasoline version is starting to close. Could you see that happening within Subaru? And can you see that eventually happening within electric?
3: Oh, yeah, sure. As, as, as the economies of scale um, start to take over and as mm-hmm. the cost of the batteries come down, um, of course, we still have to be concerned about the cost of the raw materials that go into the batteries mm-hmm. um, and, and what the supply is going to be like for those. But we hope over time that, yes, the, that, that price gap narrows somewhat and more and more people then can be able to afford to get into these vehicles, I and mean, that's why you know in, in these in these electric vehicles, particularly with the all electric vehicles, leasing is going to be become quite important. Hmm. And it has been encouraging to see, for example, the Rav Four with how well they've done. I think I sold this. To, I don't don't quote me on it, but I, I think was it half of their half of Toyota's volume last month?
0: Was the hybrid or pretty close to it? The, the hybrid um, outsold the gasoline version um, last month. If I recall correctly.
3: Yeah, that's, that's quite encouraging. So I think, you know, the, the, it's, it's good to, because now you can understand what the price gap needs to be in order to get the adoption from the customer that's going to be needed in order to be able to sell these cars efficiently through the, uh, the system. And because everybody is concerned with global warming and the environment and, and making sure that we protect, uh, all of the Earth's resources. So that's why these are important products and, and certainly important marketing decisions that have to come up
1: over these next years as we transition. Tom, uh, some automakers have been playing around with what they call subscription models. So in, instead of buying or leasing a car, you know, you subscribe to the service. Is that anything that uh, Subaru has looked at? What are your thoughts on that topic? Really, really
3: good question, John. Um, yeah, we've, we've looked at it. Um, I think from our standpoint, it's, uh, you know, we're, we've got more fundamental issues right now to look at than be worried about the subscription model right now. Um, uh, I don't know that we ever really want it to be a large portion of our business because in order to hit the right market clearing price, I think this is what some of the other manufacturers found out, you've got to price it in such a way that you you really can't make any money. And remember also, the cars come back and have to be disposed of in a secondary market. And early on in the pandemic, as you know, the fleet market's gone to you know, uh, going go to go, go the bottom. So a lot of those fleet cars were coming back and a lot, of, a lot of manufacturers went to service loaner programs to kind of make up for that difference. So there's a lot of cars that are coming back now into the used car market. Unfortunately, the used car market has recovered. So this would have just been another level of vehicles that would be coming back into the market that ultimately would have to be disposed of in the secondary channel. Uh, that manufacturers would have to take a risk on in terms of maintaining that market. So, I mean, you can sell anything. There's always a market clearing price for anything. The question becomes, can you do it profitably? And, you know, being a smaller company and, and being keenly aware of the importance of earnings and cash flow and so forth, um, you know, we, we we needed to kind of be careful in how we approached that particular market. Um, so we did look at it. Uh, You know, then the pandemic hit, we were probably getting ready to do something, but we've kind of pushed that back on the back burner for now, but something maybe gets dust off in a year or two if things get back to normal.
2: Tom, do you see your customer base as being open to a subscription plan? Uh, Subaru's got a little different kind of customers uh, to your advantage, actually. Um, But do you think that subscriptions would be appealing to them? Because it is short, such a short-term thing, probably not to our existing customers,
3: but potentially to new customers that would that we could make it uh, make them more aware of of super more urban people, for example, that mm-hmm. uh, uh, young, younger people, because we do tend to skew a little bit older in terms of our demographic. I mean, our, our Impreza, XX, STI, BRZ lines appeal to younger buyers, of course, sure. but the mainstream vehicles that we sell. Appeal to that more to the, the, the 35 to 55 year old person. Um, so we open up a different market for us. Is kind of how we looked at it, you know, mm-hmm. maybe into a younger demographic for what, what I call the four horsemen of our car lines. The ones that we really want to try to sell, you know, the Outback, the Ascent, the Forester and the Crosstrek model. None so, which are
2: cars, by the way. <laughs> they're, great, they're great vehicles. And, well, there's it's CUVs. I was looking at your numbers, and you, you sell more cross Crosstrek SUVs than you do cars in total.
3: That's right. Well, it's kind of interesting. In some of those segments, right, You know, the, the small, uh, compact, and midsize uh, CUV or SUV segment, however you want to define it, we are mainstream in those
2: segments. Oh, you're doing great in the, the, those yeah. segments
3: yeah we're we're we like to think of ourselves as a formidable com- competitor yeah. and for us being a smaller brand of course we have to create value in in our products because we can't we talked earlier about incentives right we can't go to price so we try to we try to position ourselves that our vehicles are worth the price yeah. that's why things like you know the the Kelly Blue Book awards that we've just received over the last year most trusted brand for the last 6 years you know uh, best resale value brand and so forth these create help us create value jd power loyalty we just won the jd power uh, loyalty award for the second consecutive year so no other brand has higher levels of customer loyalty than super which is great right because these customers once we get them they understand the value that the car produces and it creates a different playing field that we're allowed to compete on we don't have to necessarily go to price or you know we'd like to keep it you know, you know, the inventory levels at a reasonable level. So we can, we always have the saying, you know, one less is better than one more so that we can make sure that we can create that value and our retailers can create that value through their services that they offer.
0: Um, going back to the cross track, that's a pretty interesting segment that um, subcom back CUV segment, and um, it's getting more and more competitive. I was looking at some of the sales figures and um, at this time, last, compared with this time last year, you now have five more competitors in that segment, at least the way we seg- um, segment those vehicles. You have the Mazda CX-30, the Kia Seltos, the Buick Encore GX, the Hyundai Venue, the Chevy Trailblazer. And it's um, just curious, you know, how do you keep the track competitive um, among this um, really important growing segment? the segment that really doesn't get a whole lot of talk, but apparently the um, automakers are growing more and more interested in it. Mm-hmm.
3: Well, it's, it's, for the, um, it's kind of interesting. That segment is kind of the entry now level. I mean, it was, it was before people would go into sedans. You know, now they go into that small or that compact SUV uh, segment. So that's kind of the entry level now into the market. And, and also, if you look at the statistics in that, I mean, a lot of women purchase those types of vehicles. So it's, it's really quite interesting to see how that segment has evolved. So there's plenty of room in that segment for people to be able to grow. Um, and for us to be able to at least hold and sustain our share of that segment, as you've seen, I and mean, we, I mean, to be honest with you, Maury, we don't really know what the top is for Crosstrek because we've never been able to sustain and fulfill the total demand that we've mm-hmm. had for that vehicle, which allows us to to, to kind of, um, you know, keep our, our price points a little bit higher than what everybody else's might be.
0: Yeah, And you've led that segment for years.
3: Yeah, well, when we yeah. helped to start that segment, right, yeah. uh, when it when it first came out. Right. So it's one of the it's one of those things that the segment that segment and the forester segment are continuing to grow. That's those segments are growing segments where some other segments are contracting, which allows us to kind of um, you know peel off and get the share that we need and the volume targets that we need. You know, it's kind of interesting. Like we started out earlier and we talk about market share. We're not really so much focused on market share. I mean, we are obviously, but. We can't be so blinded by it that, it that it affects everything we do and makes us potentially get bad, make bad business decisions. You know, we, we have to be able to fight another day. And, and sometimes you have to be willing to accept potentially a little bit lower market share in order to be able to get the earnings and cash flow that's necessary to sustain yourself longer term because the investments that are coming up in this market are huge. As you know, we talk about our electric vehicles, autonomous driving. All of these things cost a lot of market research dollars, and we have an obligation to return that back to our parent company, Super Corporation in Japan, to make sure we provide those resources to them so they can develop us for the long term, and we have a, a, a sustainable future longer term. So it's, it, it, the yeah. challenges, and of course now the pandemic on top of it, have just been tremendous. They were, they, were, they were tremendous before the pandemic, and now it's even just gotten that much more interesting, I think, and challenging.
2: Well, market share without profitability is not anything really. Just like customer satisfaction without being able to convert that into some form of monetary good on behalf of the company is like there's no point in customer satisfaction really unless you're you're making money off of it. Same with market share.
3: The whole whole point is customer loyalty, right? The, the, The the goal of any business, as the great Peter Drucker said, right, is to create a loyal customer. That's what we're trying to do. With not just what Super America does, but what we do with our retailers continually, you know, and our retailers deserve a lot of credit. They're the ones that sell all the cars. We don't sell anything. It's the retailers that sell all the products and they're the ones we have to thank for you know, these last 12 years of uh, sales records.
1: And, and with that, I'm afraid we're going to have to wrap it up. Tom Dahl, thanks so much for your time today. And and for the audience to know, too, Tom is the longest-serving CEO in any car company in America right now. Wow. And I think that's one of the reasons why <laughs> you've been able that's to figure impressive. out this market. It's that's what awesome. kiss of death, John.
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> but great being with you today. I,
3: re- I really enjoyed it. It was a great conversation.
1: Yeah. yeah. Mari and Steve, thanks to you guys, too. I uh, thank really thank appreciate you. having you guys on the show. And, of course, I want to thank all of you who have tuned in.
0: Autoline this week partnered with the Consulate General of Canada in Detroit to produce this episode.